0: G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day dad, how are you going today?
1: Good thanks Rowan, it's very good to see you back after your holiday because hey, we were stranded on the 99th episode and would we ever get to the century? I was wondering, well I thought we would but hey, you've been away, how was your
0: holiday? Oh it, it was brilliant, yes. Yeah, so as you know I've been away and as listeners may have picked up by our absence... Uh, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, went, went away for a little while and geez, it was a, a great trip. But uh, oh, I guess something that I, I really needed, Dad, I suppose it's a little bit relevant to talk about on this podcast. Probably didn't realize after the last couple of years that we've had how much I needed a bit of time away and went and caught up with some friends overseas. And it's great to be back and, and great to come back to such an exciting thing as our 100th episode. But at the same time, I, I feel very refreshed and had a, a very good time away. Well, that's terrific to hear, and it's a
1: reminder of what's happened over recent years, how much changed. Like, we started this podcast to help people deal with lockdown, and we were going to bring in positive psychology ideas and practices, principles that would help people manage with that challenge of being locked down, because there was that whole world where we're all stuck at home, restricted, there's nothing that we could do. Yet it just shows how much things have changed, that not only have we continued this podcast through beyond lockdowns and the worst of the pandemic, but now you can actually travel again and relatively safely travel
0: overseas. Yeah, well, it very much is that way, Dad. And I I can see you getting a little bit sentimental and reflective on our 100th episode. We might have to have a, a little bit of a chat about that in a moment. But I think it certainly is worth acknowledging how, I guess, far everyone's come in the last couple of years, and, and today's topic is going to be relevant to that. We do have a topic for today for our 100th episode. I know for previous milestone episodes, we've gone back over some broader themes, but we thought today there's such a, a good topic that's come up that well, it's, it's a bit relevant to our 100th episode, and also it's something that is pretty fundamental to psychology and, and performance as well, in many ways. It's not just limited to psychology, but at the same time, it is something that is quite fundamental to therapy, as we'll speak about today. But But, Dad, before we do, let's have a a little bit of a chat for our our 100th episode. I must admit I've been a little bit hesitant to do this in the past because I thought it might be a little bit indulgent. But the more that I think about it, the more I think it's worth maybe letting our listeners in a little bit on maybe the the process of some of the podcast and and how it's come to be and, and how we feel about it. So I suppose just to indulge ourselves very briefly at the start here, Dad, what are some of the things that you've got out of the podcast so far?
1: OK, well, look, one thing I must say is how amazing it is that we've got to 100 episodes. There's so much behind preparing a podcast like this. I know that you make a sound pretty articulate and fluent a lot of the time, and it's not always like that when it comes out. There's a lot of editing that goes into this, but there's also a lot of planning. There's different kind of research that you have to do, but just setting it up each time and making it polished, how fortunate we've been in the practice to have your podcasting skills And when we started this podcast, we were thinking of drawing on the benefit of what I'd learned from 40 years as a clinical psychologist and a psychotherapist, and your technical skills and production skills with podcasts as another medium to get information out to other people. And one thing to me that it's been a real joy is hearing feedback from clients where I get more direct and detailed feedback of the benefit that they've had from listening to different podcast topics that are designed to cover not only the more common difficulties that people might struggle with, such as depression, anxiety, panic reactions, trauma reactions, anger, are other kind of things as well that are less understood. We emphasised a number of things that were either under-recognised or poorly understood, like dissociation, avoidant tendencies, the relevance of a spiritual dimension in life that even includes appreciating synchronicity or the power of meaningful coincidences sometimes to help people go through some kind of development or even transformation. Now, I know through this podcast, it's bringing these themes to many people, including many who are further afield. And we love that. We love hearing feedback from people that we would otherwise have no contact with and just getting a sense of some of the benefit that they've had from us looking to convey or explain some of the things that we do here. So that's been really satisfying, and the range of topics we've been able to cover is just something that I think is a a really substantial body of information that we call psychoeducation, but it's meant to assist people to get more return from their efforts, have more understanding of how if they apply themselves in certain ways or with certain principles, they can make headway maybe a little bit more readily. And that's very satisfying to be a part of, Rowan.
0: Well, certainly. And I'd add to that as well. Obviously, I don't necessarily have the contact with clients as you do. So I suppose I was maybe thinking about it slightly differently. And there's probably a couple of things I reckon that would be some of the main things that I've gotten out of a Dad. the first one is that obviously we've spoken a bit on the podcast in in the past about how one of the, the great changes really of this century in terms of society is this idea that strength is actually accepting our vulnerability in a way like they almost used to seem this notion where to be strong in a situation you almost had to ignore the things that made you feel vulnerable in a way whereas I think getting into some of this information it really gives you the tools to I suppose get your head around things a little bit more and not necessarily just have to approach a situation as being purely vulnerable if that makes sense and maybe a little bit more as a bloke dad it's it's something that you know I probably came to this whole idea a little bit late in terms of vulnerability is strength and I suppose there still are maybe some hesitancies about just, you know, putting myself out there as completely vulnerable. But I think if you can do a little bit of learning and a little bit of reflection within yourself, well, it gives you, I suppose, a position of strength within yourself to kind of go, hey, no one's really got this all worked out or, you know, I certainly don't have this all worked out. But at the same time, you know, there's a couple of things that I've found out and I'm learning more about myself. And I suppose it just helps to, delve deep into yourself in different ways when you do have a bit of the information behind you.
1: Yes, and I think one of the wonderful things about a podcast is we can go into a bit of depth about particular topics, some of the main kind of themes that come up with clients and also some of the main messages that seem to make a difference. And one of the things that I notice with that is a lot of what we're looking to convey is people not having to be in control so much or show this mastery I think like you were saying about that challenge of trying to be strong and not be vulnerable, well, people are going to find it a lot harder to make progress if you're dealing with anxiety or depression or trauma or some challenging adjustment you're going through or a situation of grief. People aren't going to be feeling on top of things. We're not going to be feeling in control or showing that mastery, but yet there are still some things that you can do. There's still some directions that you can go in or strategies that you might apply or there are things that we can learn from other clients' experience even and we have stories about that. There are still ways that people can move forward even with struggle and I think we've got that message across in a range of different ways and that certainly is one of the themes
0: that will come up with today's podcast. Well, hopefully that's got across a little bit, Dad. But just the other thing that I wanted to add as well is that, you know, as you mentioned, we've covered a range of topics about things that I really had no idea about before doing this podcast. Like obviously you mentioned dissociation and even there's elements of spiritual experience and this sort of thing that I basically had no experience with beforehand. But one of the things I've come to realise is that, you know, like I'm not someone who, for example, experiences ocd or dissociation or some of these more acute mental health issues but at the same time like they're relatable in a way that i didn't realize would be the case like for example there's elements of dissociation where you kind of go you know what like i think you know we're all on a spectrum with this sort of stuff and although i might not necessarily show dissociative symptoms or any that sort of stuff like you can almost relate a little bit to the thinking at a more preliminary level I suppose it just helps you to empathize with people a little bit more. Like I recognize a shared experience with a lot wider spectrum of people throughout society having learnt a bit more about these things. So it's it's all relevant, Dad. It is. And that, that's one thing. A lot of the things that we talk about
1: are partly about the human condition, aren't they? And so, you know, hopefully people do relate to some of the themes that we raise when we discuss things like obsessive compulsive disorder or panic or dealing with grief even if people might not be experiencing that challenge at the time.
0: Well certainly and I suppose just to uh you know really indulge ourselves here dad like I was looking at a few statistics earlier on about podcasts and There wasn't much on on how many have made the 100, but I do know that I think it's about 60% of all podcasts basically don't get beyond 10 episodes, and it's, you know, the, the vast majority don't even reach six or seven episodes. So I suppose I was thinking about maybe why that is, Dad, and I reckon part of that is what you mentioned before in terms of some of the feedback that we've gotten over the time. Like, people have just been so generous with some of the things that they have said to us, and I did actually want to mention a couple of countries, Dad, because... I was looking at our statistics earlier on and I was a bit blown away by, I suppose, just how widespread our listener base is. And so if we go through, for example, the the top 10 countries of Sykespiel's listeners, just as a bit of a a thank you to everyone. If you are listening from these countries and obviously many more, but for our friends obviously in Australia, in the United States, uh, the United Kingdom, Canada, India, New Zealand, Germany, Norway, France and Ireland, like they're our our top 10 countries and we've got quite a significant listener base in all those countries, Dad, which... I wouldn't have necessarily uh, recognised really before putting the stats out there. But just a massive thank you to everyone who has obviously listened to the podcast. Even I'm sure there's plenty who've fallen off the wagon and and haven't quite made this episode, Dad. But uh, for those who have stuck around, a massive thank you. And obviously a a very special thank you to everyone who has reached out, whether it be at the email at at podcast at chrismackey.com.au or anyone who's done it in person or there's been a range of other ways that, that people have given us feedback so very much thank you from myself and I'm sure I'm sure you've got a bit of a thank you too dad but uh as we reach 100 episodes it really does hammer home I suppose that you know we probably wouldn't be doing this if it was just you and me talking to a brick wall Exactly. It's just so
1: motivating to get that kind of response and that interest from so far afield. And as you mentioned, 98 countries. There was that little childish part of me of thinking, oh, pity it wasn't 100 for our 100th (laughs) episode. But that's really quite mind-blowing, really. That's getting to, what, about a third of the number of countries in the world or something like that, I think. But um, anyway, look, it's wonderful that the messages that we're looking to convey reach many people from a range of cultures as well. And so we have greatly appreciated that feedback, including just by people listening to this podcast. And even better if people subscribe to it. That is something that we really appreciate, that kind of feedback too, interest to do that.
0: Absolutely. And just before we do get into today's episode, Dad, we uh, we better just mention a, a, another little milestone that, uh, that has happened recently is that we had our first live radio interview as well with, uh, with Kerry Ackermans from 5AA in Adelaide. So a huge thank you to Kerry and, and to all our new Adelaide listeners. I see there are some of you, so I really do appreciate that. Yes, that was a wonderful
1: opportunity with Kerry interviewing us and Kerry's someone who appreciates the value of podcasting as a way of reaching people and as someone who works on live radio and who would have conveyed all sorts of helpful public health messages as well as many other kind of topics that she would have covered but that was a a real opportunity to, yes, reach a wider range of people but especially from someone who appreciates the, the value and the medium of podcasting.
0: Well certainly, so we've probably waffled on long enough for the start of this episode today so we better get into what we are going to be talking about and we've called today's episode the significance of taking the next step so as I mentioned before For our previous milestone episodes, I think episode number 50 and 20, we basically just had a a bit of a look back at some of the broader themes that have come up on the podcast, but we thought, geez, this has come up at a time that is so significant and so relevant to, obviously, psychology, but I honestly reckon so many other areas as well, so I'm, I'm very looking forward to getting into this episode with you today, but... Do you want to just give us a bit of a, a broad overview? What are we going to be talking about? And I know there was a, a oh, maybe a bit of synchronicity, Dad, with uh, with how this came up.
1: Yes, well, I'll mention the background to this coming up. And the theme, the significance of taking the next step, is how important it is for change is to just take a step, whatever step that might be. Sometimes it's not too fancy Sometimes we might be floundering a bit and struggling, but just taking a next step has a power all of its own. And how that was conveyed so well is at the end of last year, there was an Evolution of Psychotherapy conference in America. I used to attend that face-to-face every few years. Well, it got back to -to face-to-face attendance, but I followed it on Zoom this year. And one thing that struck me was a presentation by a centenarian And so that's fitting for our 100th episode, but the message that really got me was from Irving Polster, or Gus Polster, a 100-year-old psychotherapist, a world leader in gestalt therapy. So he was interviewed by Jeff Zeig, who convenes this massive conference where they get Tens of thousands of people at times have turned up to this conference, huge numbers of people. It's just a phenomenal place with all these world leaders, many of whom who've advanced the field over the past half-century or so. And so Jeff Zeig was interviewing Irving Polster and asking him, from 80 years of psychotherapy experience, now as a 100-year-old person, What would you sum up as being some of the main things you've learned from psychotherapy? Now, Irving Polster is a genius of therapy. Gestalt therapy is very creative. They use chair work. They use all sorts of different ways of evoking emotions. There are all sorts of different tricks up their sleeve. Very powerful, I think, from about the 1960s onward, and it was a therapy that really got people to access their emotions and notice the reactions in their bodies. It had a somatic element to it and still very influential in the field of therapy today. And Irving Polster or Gus Polster, one of the main characters in this area. And now what he said, off it was just remarkable because it sounded almost so simplistic as to be trite. But if someone's summing up, The best things they've learned from 80 years as a therapist are the most important principles. There's a bit of weight behind this. He basically said a lot of psychotherapy is about helping people take the next step. Take the next step, whatever that is. Now, what struck me is that might sound really simplistic. Of course, you've got to take a next step to do anything, but it's not simplistic because, as he described... The next step might be uninteresting, it might be difficult and it might not seem that it'll make any real difference but nonetheless it's a next step and those next steps tend to add up. But how eloquent when you think about it. I've heard of people say how the next step is difficult, we can get that but it also can be uninteresting. How hard is it to do something if it's uninteresting? Like getting up and making your bed in the morning. How could that be interesting if you're feeling depressed and you don't have the energy you feel to make your bed? What can interest you about that? It's difficult. But how's that going to lead to anything? I'm going to mention an example later on from a client about that. But taking the next step. So when you think about it, the next step with a problem such as anxiety might be facing some kind of at least mild fear. Well, that's difficult Going into a situation where we're deliberately looking to evoke a fight or flight or freeze kind of response, that's not easy. We tend to shy away from situations like that. But to deal with panic and phobic reactions, as we've talked about previously, you have to go out of the comfort zone. Or what if you're looking to deal with depression and the next step might be looking to mobilise yourself to get off the couch and engage in some kind of activity when you really don't feel you've got any energy at all? How difficult is that to do that? We'll give an example later on of that kind of situation. So that's what we're looking to convey in this podcast. Gus Polster's message that there's a power, there's a significance, there's a relevance in taking that next step. But part of the question is how can we make it relevant enough, interesting enough, meaningful enough to take it? That's
0: the challenging part of it. Well, certainly, and I suppose I I just want to unpack a little bit one of the things that you mentioned there, Dad, because I think it's a a pretty central point in terms of, on the surface, a lot of this stuff can seem quite simplistic, I think, like, you know, take the next step, like, sort of, duh, in a way. But I think there's kind of two major challenges when someone's in a position where they kind of need to progress in a a particular direction and so obviously you know that starts with the first step there's you know a thousand cliches we could bring up for that dad but like if you just put yourself in the shoes of someone who's who's really struggling well I reckon there'd be two aspects to why they can't take the first step the first one is they may not feel that they know exactly what that first step is or even they might take a, a couple of steps and not know exactly what the next step is and the second one is that I think inherently with mental health issues in a way is that we're going to be feeling in a situation where it's like, oh, geez, I don't know if I'm up to this. Like, you know, I've seen a whole bunch of other people, you know, make real progress in their situation but you know me and what I'm dealing with like it's just so much it's just so overwhelming that even if I take you know a couple of steps I just I'm not confident that it's going to go right and it seems to me that there's almost a bit of an aspect of certainly therapy but at the same time I I think basically any progress where you need to have a little bit of faith at the same time and I think that's where having a therapist and and having a real I suppose practical support in that area can help because they can, you know, encourage you and they can break it down for you in real practical terms what the best next step is in many ways. But at the same time, like I think as we get into this episode a little bit more, it'll become apparent that, well, in that situation, there are plenty of things that we can all do. And there's many things that other people have done where, you know, they've probably not felt like they're going to get the benefit from it. And I think that one of the aspects that you're emphasising from Gus Polster was that he was saying that, well, part of it is almost having a bit of faith that it's going to work and almost just, even if you don't feel it at all, let that kind of rational brain kick in where you kind of go, oh, you know, well, look, it'll probably help me if I do these things. But at the same time, like, you know... I have no real concept of how that's going to change me emotionally at the moment, but it just does seem to me there is almost this aspect of, you know, have a bit of faith both in yourself and the steps that you're taking.
1: Yes, I think you're right about the need to have a little bit of faith, which another way of putting it is you've got to have at least some inkling of agency or a sense of agency to think that anything that you might do will make a difference. But when people are dealing with depression, for example, it's very hard to get this sense of agency that we can actually influence what's happening now and in the future. And when you think about it, a lot of mental health education in the past has maybe distracted away from a sense of agency. For example, the vast majority of training in the mental health area, particularly for medical practitioners and psychiatrists, it's about medication, what medication to prescribe. Well, that's not about what next step the person can take other than find a medical practitioner, a psychiatrist who can prescribe medication. So that's what we've talked about before. It's like a pessimistic model in thinking that the answer lies outside of you rather than recognising how the answer could possibly be or some kind of step towards an answer can be insight. That's actually a change from the prevailing model of mental health care, the prevailing model of mental health care based on education funded by drug companies, is that the fix is external. It really works against that sense of faith that the person can do much themselves, which is also part of the reason in the past why we emphasised placebo effects. It's often the person's intention of getting better and doing something, even if it's taking a sugar pill. Funnily enough, even if people know it's a sugar pill, it still works to an extent. Why? The person's meditating on some change. But if the person's got an idea of some change they'd like to have and they take some step, whatever step, it can make a difference. And this is part of the story as well. Like Gus Polster is suggesting, often the therapist doesn't really know what the next step might be either. Like, sure, as therapists, we're looking to help guide people so they get the best return from their effort. But that's not always clear. Often there's a collaborative conversation between the psychologist and the client where we're asking questions of, well, what do you think might help? Or what have you considered in the past? Or what have you tried in the past and how would that go? But another main thing that we're looking to do, as Gus Polster also emphasised, is look at things that the person's already done that make a difference. Because as he said, a lot of people turn up for therapy for the first time and they've taken a number of next steps already, but they might not always recognise that. And the role of the therapist can then partly be to indicate, look, in that situation you described he did such and such. And at very least, the person's made the appointment, they've formed an intention, they've followed it up, they've turned up to see a therapist. It's not necessarily comfortable the first time to go and see a therapist and then to formulate an idea of what you hope to get from that. There are a number of steps that people might not have recognised. But just simply reflecting back as a therapist what someone's already done or an effort that they've already made is to, again, strengthen, hopefully, or encourage this sense of agency and, as you say, faith that something might make a difference. And there's a big advantage for a therapist as well.
0: Once the person's sitting there, that's a pretty significant next step they've already taken. Well, I think that's so true about... Maybe people in that situation where they, you know, basically need to take a next step in a certain direction. Like it can be so hard to see. Like I was having a conversation with a friend recently who's basically having a, a bit of a tough time, and he was talking about it over a period of months that basically, you know, I haven't gotten better in this period of months. And it was clear from what he was saying that well, there was a lot of progress that he had made in those couple of months, including talking to a therapist about it, but. At the same time, remember just having a, a bit of a conversation with him and just saying, Look, mate, that would be so hard to go through for a period of months. And the situation that we caught up in, like, you know, for example, he, he basically had to organise himself to get there and, you know, we were hundreds of kilometres apart and he'd made the effort to catch up sort of thing. But I remember having a conversation with him one of the days where, you know, he was feeling pretty down on himself for, you know, for, for whatever reason. And I remember just saying, like, mate, having gone through this, to even just come and see me, you know, like like thank you a for doing that in amongst this. But we had a, a bit of a chat about some of the other things that he'd done well throughout that day. And there was at one stage where his face completely changed. And it was almost an, a bit of surprise. And then it almost just lit up a little bit. And he said to me something like, you know, I, I just never even considered things from this perspective in terms of all the things that I had done like I was so focused on the things that I wasn't able to do or I wasn't feeling up to that I just never really considered things from this point of view and and really just hit home to me I suppose how hard it would be in that situation to recognize because you know at a I suppose emotional kind of somatic level all you're really thinking about is oh you know like I'm, I'm feeling so down And, you know, not able to do the things I'd want to do. Even some of the language that we use around this, like feeling down and and being at rock bottom. Like there seems to be a a real notion of, of a lack of something. But at the same time, I think when we unpack the actual journey that someone's gone through over a period of, you know, it can be days, weeks, months. Like, it's very hard to not have any progress. And even if you're just sitting with something for, for that length of time or even if you, you know, make the effort really to, to talk about it with someone and open yourself up in that way, like, they're huge things, you know. Like, as we were talking about earlier with this idea of vulnerability, like, for, you know, generations of people they didn't feel comfortable opening themselves up in a way. And even, you know, something like listening to this podcast, like if you're in a situation where you're feeling really down in yourself, you feel that you haven't done anything, well, you've actually gone out of your way to pursue something that's potentially, you know, who knows, I probably wouldn't have much faith in in me, Dad, certainly, but uh, maybe a bit more yourself as a psychologist. But at the same time, you've pursued something for the benefit of your mental health. And like we talk about, you know, some of these steps seeming trivial and unimportant and uninteresting. And I think that works projecting forward and looking at, you know, what are things that, you know, we maybe should do or would be a benefit to us. But it also works, I think, looking back and, and potentially there's maybe a bit of a trap to think that, you know, things maybe even if they seem trivial, aren't as important as they actually are. Well, there's something uplifting
1: about the conversation you described with your friend. And there's some clues in it about how we can offer some really substantial social support to someone who's struggling. Because there was your friend who could acknowledge to you that he was struggling. So he felt safe enough, accepted enough. He felt the trust that he could say to a friend that he was struggling and reveal that. It's not that you had any ideas and certainly that he had any ideas to get more in control or have more mastery over a situation. But the fact that you could recognise the efforts that he was making and reflect that back to him in a way that it helped him notice that in a new way, that's actually quite profound. And so I think you've described a couple of key things that are powerful in social support. One is simply having the goodwill to our friend, that love, that acceptance, that support that the person's going to feel quite apart from anything else that we do or don't do or say. But the other specific thing that you mentioned is noticing the efforts that he was making and some things that are might have made some difference. Because so it's kind of saying to someone, hey, with all that challenge that you're going through, it's even more of an achievement that you could, for example, be here with me today to meet up. Whereas someone might normally think, oh, that's no big deal, meet a friend, it's something you just sort of want to do. Well, when you're struggling in different ways or you have anxiety that can get in the way of that, that can be to half climb a mountain. But I really like that example that you gave and, yes, social support, partly recognising and appreciating people's efforts and having a way of reflecting that back to them.
0: And I suppose it's something that's come up a bit on the podcast ad, like it says one of... It's one of my favourite analogies that you've given us over the time, but you had this analogy about, say, a ring road and a traffic system that, you know, basically in a city, you get traffic through the system. If more people move to that city, well, then potentially the existing roads aren't going to cope with the extra traffic that's there. So you need to build in something like a ring road or, or an extra road to get around it. And I think when I first heard that, like, I really liked that analogy, but I probably maybe underplayed the aspect to which, you know, it can be pretty hard to build a road sometimes, Dad. <laughs> like I live in uh, Melbourne and often drive down to Geelong. They've been building a road there for about three years and it looks like they've got about three years more left on it. And I think when we, maybe, well, certainly me anyway, when I first heard that analogy, it was like, okay, that so you do something to, for example, change things in a certain direction or you do something to arm yourself with an extra tool. But actually when you think about that analogy like there's a there's a bit more to it and i think you know like if we really extend the analogy like yeah, it, it can take a little while to build a road in that situation and the way that i almost think about it and even looking back on times that i've really been struggling is that you know you sort of you struggle for a while you struggle for a while and then you almost feel that you get your head above the clouds for a little bit and like that aspect of sort of having your head above the clouds like It's not necessarily something that can just, you know, click your fingers and make happen. Often it takes a little bit of work and it takes a little bit of development. But there is almost this like instantaneous realisation when it does come. And I think it is worth maybe just recognising, I suppose, maybe some of the elements that go into feeling like you've got your head above the clouds.
1: Yes, it's very interesting how you describe that situation of the ring road and highlight the challenge of coming up with something new because a lot of the theme behind that story when I raised it, it's this notion that systems over time tend to break down. Like there's a traffic system, the roads get too clogged up, but then it can lead to an innovation. The breaking down of the old system leads to the innovation of something new like the invention of a ring road or the building of a tunnel. There's something new and transcendent, if you like, that comes in its place. But then part of the idea is all the old parts of the system still exist, but there's something added on top of it. So it's like this notion of transcendence. But yes, that analogy... Downplay the idea that you're highlighting. How long does it take to build a ring road? How long does it take to build a tunnel? After it's built, you can visit another city and you can see, oh, here's a subway. What a great idea. Let's have a subway in Melbourne. Yes, which is taking years to build at the moment as well. Hey, let's have a subway in Geelong. That would seem many years off a town with 200, 300,000 people, for example. So, yes, building what's new can take a very long time, but where does it start? It starts with steps often where people might not know at first where they're going. They might have no idea of what's going to be a new ring road or a tunnel or a different way of getting through that kind of challenge. But if someone's doing something, anything, in an attempt to make progress, that's worth acknowledging. And I will highlight that as a therapist, when we're working with people with severe or long-term problems or complex problems, A lot of our role is reflecting back to the person that we see the efforts that they're making. And that's where I look for the quality of struggle. If I see clients struggling or a person struggling with their challenge, we might think of struggle as like a negative word, oh, they're having hardship or whatever. What I think of with struggle is the person's prepared to take something on. They're putting an effort in. They're facing a challenge. They might feel stuck in different ways, but they're still struggling. They're making an effort. And when I see that struggle factor, it really motivates you to reflect back the efforts that you notice that someone's prepared to make. And you work together to see what might be a helpful next step, but hey, it might not be clear for a while, but at least if someone's doing something, that's a kind of positive energy in itself.
0: Well, I think absolutely, and, and there's another point here that I want to make, which like it came up, Dad, you were actually in this conversation as well, but we had a conversation with a close family friend. Uh, it was basically after I'd you know, basically got back from uni, and I was, I was quite depressed at that stage, and, and I'd recently had a, a very close friend pass away, and I remember something that he said to me very early on, and, and I, it took me a little while to, I suppose, recognise it, but he said, you know, this is real opportunity that you have at the moment in terms of going through some of this sort of stuff. And as we spoke about this episode, like I've reflected on that a little bit and it's something that's come up a couple of times, you know, over the journey with friends and stuff about how when you go through some of this stuff, like it actually, it really is an opportunity. And that's because I don't think this is a process that really ever ends in a way. Like obviously, you know, we talk about taking small step in therapy and, and that can be so beneficial and there's things that you know I imagine people with more complex disorders can do that maybe involves even smaller steps, all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, like in my experience anyway, when you go through a process like that where you really recognize the change, it's not as if you kinda of go, All right, now oh that's that's all done. I'm just gonna go back to freewheeling and coasting. It's almost like you develop this curiosity within yourself and it doesn't just stop at not feeling bad. Like It almost feels to me like when you get to that stage of, you know, geez, I've, I've come a long way here, it almost flips a little bit to, all oh, right, what more could I do? Like, jeez, I, I, I've never realised this in myself that I've been able to go through this process and basically, you know, with the help of others, pull myself out of this darkness. But you actually kind of go, well what are some other things that I could introduce into my life in a way? And to be honest, I I don't know if everyone gets that opportunity to assess their life in that fashion. And it's something that it's come up with a, a couple of friends, actually quite a lot of friends, actually where we almost joke about this notion of a quarter life crisis. And like, I'm, I'm, don't I want to give too much away, Dad. But uh, I'm I'm 30 in the next couple of months, and well, talk, you you can go for a third third life crisis, something yeah, like that. Exactly, something like that. Well, uh, I guess that's maybe evidenced out of uh, how how fast things are going. That uh, I still count on myself in the uh, the quarter life stage, but it is something that's come up with a few friends over the the journey about I suppose maybe some existential issues that come up and some existential questions that they have and the anxiety that this leads to and I know from so many of those people who've gone through that well a they have you know years of of flourishing really straight afterwards but you know again I'm I'm not quite there I'm uh you know we're, we're getting through it at quite a clip but I'm not quite at the stage of say for example a midlife crisis but I remember when we did that midlife crisis episode and it seems to me that Maybe a, a midlife crisis comes out of of not addressing some of these questions and not addressing some of these issues within ourselves. Well, if we're in a situation where, you know, we we do have an opportunity to address some of those problems, well, potentially it's going to mitigate against much bigger issues further down the track, which it seems to me are maybe a natural part of life in some ways. But if we really do have a a strong sense of who we are and, and what we can do to help ourselves, well, that can only be a good thing in terms of maybe avoiding some of these really natural existential questions that come up later in life too. Yes, well, now I'd like to mention
1: a couple of client examples That maybe show how people taking what seems like a small behavioural step, just a small step, can lead to some kind of change in outlook in life or philosophy in some way, like you're suggesting. And the first one, maybe in a more simple way. I've mentioned this before in the past when we talked about depression, but I always remember back to a fellow I saw who was a policeman, an ex policeman with PTSD. And he'd had really severe difficulties with depression. He was very restricted in his lifestyle and he didn't socialise much at all and he was very stuck for quite a period of time. But then he came up with the idea himself. He lived on a farm and he said, look, there's this dam close to the homestead, close to the house, but it's about, say, 100 metres away. might have been 200 metres away. And he said, so I thought, well, each day, so each morning... I'll go for a walk to the dam and back. And then he'd tell himself, at least I did that. At least I did that. The next day, walk to the dam, come back, at least I did that. Now there are a couple of things happening. He'd got himself going in some way, often earlier in the day, so that's what we call behavioural activation for depression. You've got to do something to get yourself moving, even if you have low energy. At some stage, you've got to get moving. But there's also this acknowledgement of his effort. At least I did that, which has been a mantra that I've used with other clients since because I think it's such an elegant way of appreciating an effort. But what happened is, bit by bit, he got this greater sense of, agency of influencing his circumstances he started do a little bit more maybe a little bit of socializing more not a lot but certainly things were changing in his mood and he was in a group with a number of other people who had experienced injuries at work or car accidents or other real challenges many with PTSD and one day he paused he said hey look in this group often we get caught up with complaining or whinging about things and saying how difficult things are. But we could just make ourselves more miserable if we do that. He was saying something of, There are things that we can do to make ourselves feel a little bit better. Now I was thinking, hey, as a group leader, I couldn't say something like that without sounding judgmental or damning. But people knew this fellow really had difficulties with trauma and depression. So it counted for so much coming from him. And the tone in the group changed a little bit. And people treated him with that little bit extra respect for the authority that he'd shown, but he was also modelling more a sense of agency about bringing in some positive energy and not getting just caught up with being helpless, with being stuck. You know, be prepared to struggle a bit. So there was a bit of a philosophical change for him. And I'll mention maybe a more profound example of that philosophical
0: change, I think, uh, with another client example shortly. Well, I guess what comes across from that is, again, like maybe this aspect of an opportunity in a way. Like it seems to me that, you know, there can be an element of, like whether it's say say freezing when you're in that situation of sort of not knowing what to do, being overwhelmed. Like there was a term that I heard recently which I really liked which was existentially stupefied, which is almost a little bit like that at times. Like you can just be so kind of overwhelmed with, you know, where you are and it's almost like, well, what is that next step to take? But I wonder if the more frozen that we feel in a certain situation, like the more kind of stupefied that we feel and unable to do anything, well, the more opportunity there is to, I suppose, experience that growth within ourselves. where if we can get it to a situation of going, well, you know what, at least I did that. Well, that can lead us to, for example, feel a, a lot better within ourselves. Like if we truly reflect on it and go, you know what, in that situation I was, I was really struggling. And I was able to get myself to the situation that I'm in now. Maybe it's not optimal, but I think there is that opportunity to go, you know what, like, actually, I I was in real trouble there and I've been able to get myself to this situation right now. And I wonder if there is maybe an aspect of, you know, for example, that the further down that you do feel, it's almost like each step has the potential to have more benefit which can then g- help you gain more momentum as you go along. And it seems to me that, you know, there's a, there's a lot about maybe self-esteem and the confidence that we can feel within ourselves that comes from maybe the things that we do in adverse situations. And so it seems to me that, you know, without wanting to necessarily trivialise, you know, the, the significant struggles that people do go through because this stuff can take a lot of time and it can maybe be a couple of false starts in a couple of different directions... But it just strikes me that there maybe is that opportunity for even when someone's really struggling, that if they are able to you know, get the wheels turning a little bit and you know, hopefully get to that situation where they can feel their head above the clouds in whatever way that is for them, well, that could really gather confidence in yourself because of what you are able to overcome.
1: Yes, so the thing that I pick up from what you're saying as well is it's the combination of the next step with also appreciating that taking into account how difficult it has been. So it's making that allowance for how steep the hill is that you're climbing at the time. When people are very depressed, that hill is very steep. Just to try moving forward in any way, it's a steep hill. More mild depression, it flattens out to a degree. Actually, I heard it said once, and I think there's truth in this, with people with severe depression, for example, antidepressant medication can help change the slope of the hill. Not quite so steep. Still challenging, still quite an angle, but not quite so steep. But then the implication, the person still has to take steps that way. But you're mentioning how steps can change someone's self-view in some ways, potentially. And this is a recent example that I've found quite profound. It's a lady I've seen for a number of years, who's dealing with some significant problems with anxiety and somatic problems. And with a number of longer-term psychological conditions, there's often a mind-body element where there are physical challenges like tiredness, how people's digestive system is working. It can really affect people's confidence in being away from home, how their body might react. It's not just a psychological low mood. And... Just even the feeling of anxiety or panic that might come from going further afield as well could be very difficult. Now in that kind of situation, it also can include chronic fatigue conditions or fibromyalgia or other kind of somatic problems that can combine with anxiety as well and often with depression. It can be very difficult for the person to feel motivated when some days they make an effort and they feel their body's letting them down, say with extreme tiredness and lethargy. So... There's an example of this lady I'd seen for a number of years, and then she picked up on herself the idea of, I'm going to make the bed every day. Every morning, I'm going to make the bed, and this was a number of months ago, and she's kept this going pretty much every day, maybe with only about one exception. Now, that's good going in itself, when that's pretty uninteresting, it was often difficult, might be hard to see how it would lead to anything, yet... She made the bed. Now, I could see the efforts that she was making in other ways that I was looking to reflect back. That often maybe she hadn't picked up on so much, but I think that with this, again, bed making every day, a routine building in and doing things to help family members around their homes, the different tasks that she would do, she wasn't in a position to do even casual work but she could front up and help out in some kind of physical ways even, even if that would be challenging. She was making these efforts and maybe earlier on underappreciating them, but they built up and she started to actually acknowledge her efforts a little bit more, maybe almost reluctantly at first, but then appreciating that a little bit more. Well, recently she achieved a real milestone of driving much further afield. Now, this might be something like 30 kilometres that people might think is not much, But many people have challenges where it's very difficult to drive that far from home. So she would have had an agoraphobic condition in certain kind of ways. But not only did she drive about 30 kilometres, but she visited a friend as well. And so she stayed and she had a conversation with that person. She felt a little bit more uplifted after that. But the thing is that she recognised that it was not just visiting a friend that gave her a boost... But it's also the, the drive that she'd managed with that. And then what she said that I thought was striking is she said, it showed me I want more. I want to live a bit more. Now here's a philosophical thing coming in now. There's an extra kind of awareness. There's an appreciation that maybe life could be a little bit different. And then she also mentioned further about helping family members and that side of things. But then she added, I'm going to try to live now. And be now. Now that's almost like that Buddhist idea or the mindfulness idea of living in the present moment. But this is her own natural kind of awareness or appreciation that came from the possibility of doing more. And then she went on to say, I'm going to try and change my point of view of things. Rather than being as self-critical about her body or her appearance or how other people might respond to her looking to live in the now a little bit more. And then she described reflecting on that effort that she'd made is that she'd told herself, I didn't say I could do it, but I'll see. And I've heard her say before, in the more recent past, I'll give it a red-hot go. So we're finding again a philosophical change and I thought she expressed that most profoundly And she said something in quite an original way, which I think is to do with identity and acceptance. She said, maybe something that makes a difference is mourning the person that you thought that you would be and allowing yourself to be the new person that you become. How profound is that in terms of self-acceptance? Mourning the person that you thought that you would be free of these physical health problems, you know, not so much anxiety, feeling socially confident, that side of things, that's not going to be an option for this lady likely in the next even, year or two. And she might not feel relative ease or full comfort almost indefinitely. But she can have uplifting experiences like she showed. She can have that sense of hope. She can have the experience of being more in the moment and allowing herself to be more the person that she is becoming and becomes. That's got the theme of renewal. And a whole lot of psychological life, different stages of life, dealing with midlife crises, dealing with the hero's journey we've talked about as well, is about some kind of renewal. Our work lives are about bringing in some kind of renewal. Even our hobbies and interests, part of it is about some kind of renewal. But I thought that that notion of acceptance of oneself being compassionate about the difficulties that you have. I thought that was profound wisdom and I reckon it started with regularly making the bed.
0: Well, There's something that comes to mind there, Dad, and a great example that you mentioned there about how much someone can get out of what might seem on the surface as being a trivial exercise, but... when you put it in that context, oh, I'll have to make a bit more effort to make my bed. I reckon, Dad. <laughs> I've uh, I've been doing okay recently, but uh, there's a couple of days that I've let it slip. But uh, I digress a bit. But I remember hearing something that Mark Wahlberg, the actor, said one time, and he's someone who I believe gets up at you know four a.m. in the morning and you know works out for two hours, and then he has time with his kids and all this sort of stuff. And he was talking about the almost the restraints that he puts on himself in a way gives him more freedom because he was saying you know like yeah it's, it's not easy to for example wake up at four in the morning and go to the gym but you know I, I get my exercise in at a time when no one else is awake and I'm able to sort of do that in my own little world and then that time that I maybe would have been exercising I can spend it with my kids and spend it with my family and I think there is this aspect of you know well I think the older I get dad I, I realized that maybe the, the infrastructure that we can create in our life and the routines that we can create in our life actually lead to more freedom and more well-being and, and more happiness in a way too because like it's something that you know i'll put my hand up and i reckon i used to be maybe an arrogant little kid maybe a little bit older than when i was a kid dad but uh maybe my early 20s for example and things like say for example journaling Seemed a little bit contrived to me at the time. And I sort of thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going okay for whatever reason. Like, I don't need to necessarily do that. But the older I get and the more I speak to people who I, you know, wouldn't necessarily think would be, for example, into journaling. And they come out with, yeah, you know, like, I'll write basically a page a morning. And it started literally just doing dot points. And then it got to paragraphs and all this sort of stuff. And like, I've done a little bit of that. Probably not as much as I should. But at the same time, like can see the benefit in I suppose those practices. And it's interesting, like on for example, you know, you see on Twitter and, and these social media platforms, like there's a few different I guess you'd call them entrepreneurs, like it's not necessarily a word that I really liked at, but, uh, but a few different entrepreneurs and they talk about, for example, their morning routine or how they get the most out of the day and it's just an extension of these practices, like obviously we're talking about it in the context of if people are really struggling and you know they are feeling frozen in a certain way, You know, these are some things that we can do, but I think it does go back to that idea of, well, there's real benefit, I think, in Maybe for everyone kind of going, well, what are some extra things that I can add into my routine that are really going to help me or that, you know, is going to give me some extra time, some free time or like for example, i caught up with some friends on my on my recent trip Dad, who've basically got young children and it was so lovely to meet their young children and geez, I'll tell you what though, you talk about some extra restraints that have come into their life. But they're all just, you know, bursting with joy talking about their kid and, you know, it's so positive and infectious to be around their family environment because, you know, particularly as, say, first-time parents, there's this real novelty to it all and, you know, there's so much, you know, just love and all this sort of stuff flying around. Like, it was really nice to be in that environment. But what stood out to me was that, geez, like, you know, I've got a lot more freedom, for example, than some of my friends who I, I used to hang out with and, you know, we used to basically just... You know, chew the fat and all this sort of stuff, but now they've got this huge aspect of their lives which takes so much time and maybe points them in a certain direction that they wouldn't have necessarily chosen for themselves if it wasn't for their child. But they get so much benefit from that. And so it seems to me that, you know, this this what we're talking about today, this stuff doesn't just relate to for example, unfreezing ourselves or getting ourselves unstuck in a situation like it seems to me there's a bit of an element that this is the crux of progress in a way. And I go back to what Gus Polster said in terms of sometimes the next step can seem you know uninteresting or uninspiring. And like, oh, I really think there's a degree to which you know it's going to be you know uninteresting and uninspiring to all of us, but. You know, to some degree, the people who really seem to get the most out of life, certainly in my circle and and the people that I see anyway, are the ones who are able to, I suppose, maybe even bring that discipline in with themselves to be able to create routines that they may not have chosen as, for example, a 19-year-old, but when they do get to a a certain age and they do find themselves, I suppose, finding that discipline and, and creating that, for example, I almost call it, say, life infrastructure in a way or like routine infrastructure well, then that really does lead to so many benefits beyond just you know, alleviating our symptoms. Like It really is the crux of you know, getting the most out of yourself as that example that you mentioned there. Yes, very much part of
1: therapy is reminding people of the benefits of routines and helping people see the routines they're forming and the benefits of doing something like, for example, making the bed each day. But there's something else that you're describing there too. It's the benefit of roles roles in life the role as a worker the role of being in a relationship certainly the role of being a parent it could be the role of being on a sporting team there are all sorts of things that we can do that have many steps attached to them if people have children there's a lot of steps involved every single day that you will be doing because they need to be done and so there's something about that that rather than it just being a kind of hardship it can actually help people focus on something which is creative and growing and, and even being part of something larger than oneself, perhaps. But it's about having a focus and direction with meaning, too. That's where sometimes things that might be challenging, such as many aspects of parenting or many aspects of a challenging job, it doesn't mean that people are always feeling up happy when they're doing it, but they tend to add to meaning, and also tend to build structure into our lives. So when people who've been unemployed get a job, that's likely to be more benefit than so many different psychological therapy techniques combined or when people are entering a relationship and finding ways of negotiating conflict in that situation certainly when people have children when people are befriending someone new when people have gone interstate and they have to find ways of connecting up with a new social network the different kind of
0: roles that we have that can strengthen that well i think certainly and and yeah that that is a great point and just as you were describing that there, Dad, like, oh, you know, reflecting on this episode in some ways, and geez, it almost seems pretty easy the way that we are talking about. And I know you'll have much more of a concept of, you know, just how difficult things can be to take that first step. But like, I, was, I was reminded going over this episode of something that uh, Chris Scott, the Geelong Cats AFL coach, said recently, where he said about Sam DeConing, one of his young players who basically burst onto the scene last year's. Now, you know, one of the best defenders in the comp at a very young age. And he spoke about Sam De Koning as an overnight success that was three years in the making. And I think there's a real element to this sort of stuff where it's like, geez, you know, taking that small next step can just seem so trivial and, you know, like it's, it's you know, not going to necessarily lead to much change. And maybe the time that we're looking for it to make change and we can have, you know, a real yearning for things to be quicker – But it just strikes me that you know there's so many situations that feel like an overnight success, but when you really unpack them, there's so many of these small little steps that have gone into them.
1: Yes, and so this actually does remind me of a couple of previous podcasts that we've done that are relevant to this theme, which also give a little bit more guidance, but one is called Practical Progress in Personality Change. Now, I think the thing with that is that we're talking about something more profound, like personality change. That's not just easy. We talk about practical progress. I'm pretty sure a main theme of that episode would be taking steps in a certain direction, any steps. We sometimes call it nudge factors, nudge in a certain kind of direction. So that's a relevant episode to refer back to. And there's also another episode on monitoring and measuring to promote positive change. We can amplify a behaviour or reinforce it just by monitoring it. So if someone recognises that there's some benefit in a next step, it might be looking to go to bed by a certain time. It might be looking to get up in the morning by a certain time. It might even be making one's bed in the morning and doing a tally of that. If people actually make some kind of recording, or it might be how many standard drinks people have in a day, just the monitoring in itself can have an influence on behaviour if people have an interest in changing that behaviour. So there are a couple of podcast episodes that we could put in the links that relate to this theme that amplify the benefit we can get from taking the next
0: step. And so you mentioned the links for the podcast there. Of course, you can find those at psychspiels.com.au and we have the episode pages for every episode of the podcast available there. And for those of you who are listening on the website or or through the internet... uh, Give us a subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode, and and even if you haven't, feel free to subscribe anyway, but look, Dad, it's been great chatting with you about all this. I think this is one that is going to grow on me a little bit, certainly over the next little while, but I think, you know, as we reflect on this episode, like, it really is just a, a fundamental part of, you know, not only psychology, but also, basically, performance and, you know, aspects of, you know, reaching our optimal self in a way, like, you know, what a... Difficult task to take on in the first place, but I guess all we can do is just take the next. Like I'm going to slip into cliches if I keep going here, Dad. But uh, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me about all this today, and well done on getting to our hundredth episode. It's been great over the journey. It certainly has,
1: Rowan. I really appreciate it. It's a real honour, a real pleasure to do it with you. And um, I'd have to say too, what I realised as we we're going through today, the significance of taking the next step, is when we did this podcast. To tell the truth, I often had in mind of getting to a century, doing a hundred. And I didn't know if we would go beyond that. But to realise now you've come back from holidays, it's basically early in a new year for our podcast, and actually being motivated and interested to keep on going with this, in other words, a next step in our podcast episode 101 episode 102 where we might even explore things in future episodes like stoic philosophy and things that we're interested in that have influenced psychology so much but to be at this point and realize how much want to keep on going with this with the next episode that's a really satisfying thing to appreciate so thanks so much for being with me along this journey that we're doing together and uh, it's just a wonderful honour and privilege and it's just a delight to be able to do something like this for me to do that with my own son. Thank you very much, Rowan.
0: Oh, the feeling's very much mutual, Dad. It is, uh, yeah, great that we've been able to add this to our relationship. I think it's something that not everyone gets the opportunity to do, but I've very much enjoyed it and I will just uh, let the listeners in. I'll better thank the listeners, of course, too. You know, 100 episodes, like we really wouldn't be here without all of you out there listening and and Even if it's for one episode or 100 episodes, we really do get something from people tuning in. And uh, I will just let everyone know that uh, you'd think at 100 episodes, Dad, we'd get a bit better at this whole game, but uh, we've had to deal with a bit of a memory card corruption and a bit of a a break in the middle. So hopefully it seemed all seamless. But uh, as the producer of this podcast for 100 episodes, hopefully the next 100 I'll be able to work out how to use these bloody memory
1: cards podcasting is not quite as seamless or easily as you make it look, Rowan, but uh, look forward to next time.